My next guest is figuratively and literally one of the largest personalities in all of sports, standing at six foot nine. Sports Business Journal once called him the new Tower of Power. He's actually held many titles. The ones we may know, lawyer, mayor, commissioner, president, and the ones he's most proud of, husband, son, brother, father, even grandpa. This week's guest joined me under the auspices of another title, my mentor. It's one he's had since we met nearly a quarter century ago. He's the man behind the knock heard round the world. His office is aptly called the most inspiring place on earth. And he's in the business of collecting tears. This weekend, he'll be collecting lots of them in Canton, Ohio during the 2020 and 2021 Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremonies. Pro Football Hall of Fame president and CEO, David Baker. Take a listen. David Baker, welcome to the Sports Mentoring Project. John, great to be with you. And I want you to know how appreciative I am that while you included my height, you left my weight out. Because okay? it's about 400 pounds now. Very gracious of you to do so. Well, let's get right into it. Let's burn some calories uh, with our lightning round, which we do with all of our guests. Uh, 10 quick questions about your mentoring experience. We'll start with this one. Do you have a mentor? And if so, who is it? I have had lots of mentors. I have had coaches and business associates and a lot of people. I would say with respect to what I'm doing now, two that come to mind, it's not just because they're big names, but Commissioner Goodell and and, uh, has been a good friend and and mentor and colleague. And the other one is, I was just thanking him the other day, Jerry Jones. Who chose who and how did the relationship come to be with, with Commissioner? Well, with respect to those, those two, um, you know, I, I think that uh, I went into the office when I was commissioner of the Arena Football League of Commissioner Taglibu, and he said, hey, I want you to work with this, uh, you know, young uh, sidekick associate I have here. And we had dinner once a month pretty religiously uh, for 10 years before he was commissioner. Um, with Jerry Jones, um, I sold him an arena football team, <laughs> and <laughs> he's now the NFL chairman of our board here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame on that side of it for the NFL. And so for Roger and Jerry, what is their superpower? Uh, for Jerry, I think it's pretty easy. I think Jerry is, uh, uh, I mean, he is a promoter. Uh, he is a promoter through and through. He is, he is the modern era um, uh, equivalent of P.T. Barnum. Uh, I, I truly believe that. And I've learned a lot uh, of how to sell and how to promote uh, from his passion. Uh, I think for the commissioner, uh, frankly, I think it's his integrity and his perseverance. Uh, he, he, he is a lightning rod for every issue. And I have seen him in the toughest of situation. Uh, and his sole thing he wants to do is what's right. I couldn't agree more. So with regard to superpowers, what's yours? <laughs> I don't know that I have any, I, I'm pretty good at eating, uh, you know, which, uh, you know, some would say gluttony is a sin as well. Uh, but I would say, John, I'd like to think that if I have a superpower, it's caring. Uh, Gene Upshaw once pulled me aside. We we did three collective bargain agreements in the Arena Football League, and I had a lot of respect for Gene, but he pulled me aside and said at one point, he says, can I give you some advice? He says, sometimes I think you care too much, <laughs> and uh, but I don't know that you really can care too much. So if Roger or Jerry were here right now, what would you say to them? Thank you. 
Uh, I was with Jerry uh, last Monday at the star and I told him, thank you. I've learned a lot from him. Uh, our, our, and and uh, not long ago, I think it was uh, New Year's Eve. I had like a hour to a 90 minute conversation with the commissioner. And uh, you and I had this conversation not long ago of how proud I am of the NFL right now. Um, what they did in completing a season without missing any games, uh, this was bigger than football. This was this, this was a dark moment in American history and they showed up as a shining light. So I would tell Roger how proud I am of him and his team. I, uh, I, I tell Jerry, thank you. And the same kind of thing. What are the qualities of a great mentor? You know, like I said, it's just not those two guys. I have said so many uh, men and women who are, have been mentors to me, but, but I think uh, having the ability to have time together, uh, the willingness to share together, but to me, it's capturing the nugget in the moment uh, of understanding how important this lesson and this moment is to everything else. And somebody who can understand that can help you for your future moments. And those qualities of being a, a fantastic mentee are? <laughs> uh, listening and learning. And, 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 and I also think applying and persevering because sometimes you're going to get tackled for a loss. Sometimes it doesn't work right. Um, but I think as you collect all those things and bring them together, uh, you develop a philosophy and how you employ that philosophy in life uh, is really the essence of what you learn from all these mentors. We hear a lot in football about coaching trees. Uh -huh. Who do you count among your mentees? Oh, in, in terms of uh, the people that I've mentored? Uh, well, in addition to, I, I think there's a whole lot of people out there in arena football. It, it was a lot of young people, obviously, Rene Anderson and Chris, her husband, Chris McCluskey, uh, or as we like to say, Mr. Anderson, um, <laughs> or, or he'll hate that. Um, uh, you know, you know, Ed Policy and uh, John Masters. I mean, there, there's a lot of people. I love seeing young people grow and, 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 and struggle sometimes and fail, but then come back. Uh, it, it has been so much fun in this industry to see so many young people grow and then go out and impact and touch people and make a difference in their lives as well. I, I mean, I, I could spend your entire time talking about those people who inspired me so much. Uh, my, my own son, uh, Ben, I'm pretty proud of him. Uh, but uh, when I got to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I know I'm going quicker, longer than necessary here, John, but the, the demographic here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame is older. But to see how those guys have developed, to see what they're doing, uh, I, you know, the more you can touch people and impact their lives, the more they can go out and impact and make a difference in other lives. Venture made a difference in my life and in yours. And here's the last one for the lightning round. I'll get right into it. The best and the worst advice you've ever received. Uh, you know, the best advice I got was uh, from a guy named Dick Allen, who was a businessman and I'd been a lawyer and um, he had uh, actually been fired by a company, um, tried to create something with two other guys off of their credit card Um what was left and they ended up selling their company back to the same company that fired them for like $586 million. And, and, uh, you know, I'd asked him what he was going to do after that. And he said, he didn't know what he was going to do, but he knew how he was going to decide it. 
And, um, and, and what he said was, he said, there's all different kinds of ways to make money and all different kinds of ways to have fun and all different kinds of ways to do good. But he said, the real trick in life is finding a way to have fun, make money and do good all at the same time. And to me, that's the great privilege uh, that, that we have in sports. Uh, the worst advice I've ever received, um, you know, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on that stuff and stuff doesn't work. Um, but, um, you know, I might go back to that example that was well intended by Gene Upshaw when he said, maybe you care too much. Uh, I don't think you can care too much. It, it hurts sometimes. Uh, you get let down by other people. Uh, maybe sometimes we let ourselves down but I don't think you can care too much. I put a high premium uh, on people who care. Well, David, I want, I want to start from the beginning as we get into it with you about your backstory. Um, and I want to talk about mom and dad. Um, neither of your parents could read or write. What was it that your parents taught you about the human experience that led you on your journey? Yeah. You, you know, uh, uh, a couple of things. I, again, I, I know everybody likes to go back to their backgrounds and say that, uh, you know, uh, I had to walk five miles to, to school uphill both ways in the snow. But um, my mom and dad, they couldn't read or write. And it, it, it taught me the value of an education. They wanted that for me. My dad worked in a lumber mill uh, until he was 65 years old. Uh, doing dirty, filthy, hard work, uh, painful work. And, uh, and he did it for me and my sister and an adopted brother. Uh, my mom uh, had no other quality other than the fact that she loved kids. So she would take care of other people's kids, sometimes in the worst of circumstances. And, and so from both of them, I, I grew up in a 900 square foot house um, that sometimes had a lot of people in it. And uh, my dad taught me um, that, and I could go into long stories about this, but my dad taught me, he was the hardest working man I've ever known. And he taught me the value of work. And I'll give you just one example. One day I'm in college and I think I'm a big shot and I think I know everything. And I come home and my dad takes his shirt off and he has that farmer's tan on because he's been in the sun all day along and there's no tan on his chest or his upper arms but only on the bottom of arms and he he slinks into this chair and he's just exhausted and he was so exhausted that it worried me and so i said dad are you okay and he looked up at me and i'll never forget this he looked up at me and he had kind of a slow smile that turned into a full-on grin and he said oh son we moved a lot of lumber today and for my dad, it wasn't about the fact he never more, made more than $5.12 an hour. But it wasn't about what he made or what he brought home. It was about what he did. And so that expression has, to my boys, become a, a, you know, a philosophy. Uh, when Sam was in the NFL uh, or in college at SC, uh, I'd say, how you doing, son? And he would talk about working out. And he said, Dad, we moved a lot of lumber today. And, and, you know, so I learned that from them. My mom, um, uh, my mom just taught me a lot about loving and caring. Uh, they, they were not sophisticated people at all, John, but I think they were good people. And, and I am so fortunate. My sister reminds me all the time. She's 12 years older than I am uh, of how fortunate we are to 
have the education that we have so that we can read and learn and, you know, chase and capture an enlightened thought. And, and so uh, I'm very grateful to my parents. And in and, and sports, John, gave me that opportunity to grow. It gave me an opportunity to have a college education. It gave me an opportunity to go to law school, to travel around the world, to, 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 to be with special people like you. Uh, so, uh, you know, being here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, allows me a little bit to pay back what sports has done for me, uh, my kids, our family. And it's, it's very clear to anyone who's paying attention that you have moved a lot of lumber in Canton, Ohio. <laughs> And um, you know you are a great plug man. So um, you know your your job comes with great responsibility. And, and I, I want to do this pl the plug this time, if you'll let me. Sure. Uh, honor the heroes of the game, preserve its history, promote its values, celebrate excellence everywhere. Man, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> well, you know what? It's a lot of privilege too. Uh, to me, I call it the church of football. Uh, it, it's not about the worship of the football hero. Uh, it's not about the great entertainment that the NFL is, but it's really about the values that the game teaches, about the commitment, the integrity, the perseverance, the, the courage, uh, the inclusion, the love, and, and ultimately the excellence that it represents. I think that by looking at those stories, we all think that these guys fell out of bed great. And I can tell you by my close association that I'm privileged to have with them, uh, not one of them did. They fought to be great. They earned greatness. They failed a million times. Uh, Brett Favre, who took 12 seconds to get in the Hall of Fame. I mean, everybody knew he was going to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, also happens to be the guy to throw the most interceptions in the history of the game. Uh, and, and he didn't let that stop him. And, and to me, I think that by, by understanding the values that they relied upon to drag a whole lot of other people to greatness, well, then maybe we can become great too, maybe as a father or a mother or, or, or as an executive or uh, as a cellist in the symphony, uh, maybe as a company or, or certainly as a community and, and for sure as a country. Uh, these are great values and, and, uh, and they're meaningful. In the context of football, it doesn't matter whether you're a a Baptist, a Buddhist, a Jew, and an agnostic, uh, a Republican, a Democrat, it doesn't matter. When you talk about these values in the context of football, we all understand them. And the huddle is a place of great inclusion where you can tune everything out that's out there and just come together and, you know, kind of get, you know, heart to heart, if you will, so that when we leave that huddle with one heartbeat, we can fight that adversity on the other side. It might be a pandemic. It might be racial injustice. It might be uh, a down economy. But when we come together, we can do great things together. Well, speaking of great things, I, I want to talk about, you mentioned Brett Favre. And one thing I've always admired about him and something I admire a lot about Patrick Mahomes is his ability to adapt and innovate on the fly. And <laughs> you went to a very historic place um, you know, you, we tend to think about Halls of Fame being very stodgy, yet you came to the Hall and single-handedly redefined how future Hall of Famers learn of their selections of the Hall. So much so, it's become this highly anticipated event that used to be a simple phone call. 
And it's also an example of innovation. I, I, I want to spend a little time on the knock heard around the world. Um, and I want to, I want you to take me back to the day that that idea was conceived. Well, I'll tell you, um, you know, the folks at the NFL network have been very helpful with this, but, um, for me, a lot of it came into, you know, I'd been the uh, president of the pro football hall of fame for two months and go to the super bowl in New York. Um, we have our first class selection and it goes a long day. Now we got to get all our guys to the radio city music hall. We brought in all the finalists and the guys that are second have got to get over to radio city music hall. And it's like an hour away in, in terms of showtime. So I'm trying to call guys and get them there. I, I call Michael Strahan because he's in New York and has got to get across town. Uh, I, I called Derek Brooks next because he was a friend from arena football. And I just wanted to tell my buddy he was in the hall. Uh, my third one uh, was Ray Guy. Uh, a punter for the Oakland Raiders who had been a finalist uh, for like 29 years and never selected. And he almost didn't answer the phone because I married code 714 and he was looking for 330 from Canton. And, uh, but he did. And I said, Ray, this is Dave Baker. I'm the new president of the hall of fame. And he gave answered with that slow Southern Mississippi drawl. He said, uh, yes, sir. And I said, Ray, it is my great pleasure. I got that far and I could hear him fall to the ground. I could hear his phone rattling around. Uh, his wife is going, honey, baby, are you okay? And it was like two minutes. And I thought I'd killed my first Hall of Famer job. Uh, and, and finally he got to the phone and he says, hey, I'm sorry. I'm not sure I understood until now how much this meant to me. And, and it certainly seemed to me and, and to us thereafter that if there's some way that we can capture that for fans to understand how much the game means to these guys. Um, I have now had the privilege of knocking on the door of 80 plus guys. And, you know, when you knock on the door, they're not thinking about how much money they made. They're not thinking about their pro bowls or their um, Lombardi trophies. Um, they're thinking about their mom who, who drove them to practice over and over again, or their dad who wouldn't let them quit when they wanted to quit or their coach who inspired them to do something more or teammates who helped get them there. And I'm telling you, I've been so close to them that you can look into their eye and sometimes see in their soul and you can see all this flash in front of them. It's as if they wrap themselves in the entire history of the game from the first time you laced up that pigskin to the presentation of the last Lombardi trophy and you can see their journey. Um, you know, there's there so many that stand out to me. Everyone is special, kind of like our kids. But I remember Randy Moss. Randy Moss transformed in front of me, I believe, from this guy who was a star. And, and therefore, it was all about him, kind of as a star, to becoming an ambassador for the game. And I saw him you know, he was a great guy to begin with, but I saw him just transform in my view into something special. And I'm real proud of, I'm proud of him. He's, he's a great spokesperson for this game. And, and there's so many others that are like that. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned Bart, you know, uh, uh, Brett Favre, you know, when he knew I was going to knock on his door. There wasn't any secret. He was a first ballot hall of famer. Uh, but when I knocked on his door, he put his hands in his pocket and I told him he was one of the 302 best players, coaches, and contributors at the time. And he hung his head like an eight-year-old kid. And then we take him over to the honor show. And a, a tradition has developed where 
uh, our guys in the audience will, after they're introduced, will go up and welcome them into uh, this great fraternity. And afterwards, there's a press conference, and Brett is sitting next to me, and I said, how you doing? And he says, are you kidding? And he was just white, and he says, I just shook the hand of Roger Staubach. And, and you know how it is. I thought they would have played golf or met along the way, and he said, no, you don't understand. All my life, I dreamed of being Roger Staubach. And then he paused for a second, and he goes, hey, I guess I'm on his team now, right? And I said, forever. And... and I've learned that the guy we enshrined, uh, you know, Peyton Manning, I don't think I'm giving anything away to say that in the 2021 class, he's a sure first ballot Hall of Famer. But it'll be the same way. The guy we enshrined isn't that 45-year-old polished veteran. Uh, it's that eight-year-old kid that began the journey. And, and that's what I think is great in every one of them. And that 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 eight-year-old or ten-year-old kid is still in there, and uh, they're just like everybody else. But they're they're kind of special because they love the game, they love each other, um, they have no quit in them. And, and there's valuable lessons for all of us to understand. But you know, when we walked on the set of uh, CBS for Bill Cowher, uh, Bill, you know him. Bill's a private guy. He he's got that chiseled you know jaw. But when he got to see his wife, V, and his daughter, uh, he just blubbered. He just blubbered. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, the next day in L.A., uh, he stopped breathing. You know, he had to go to an inhaler at the, uh, at, when they went to commercial. But everybody on the set's crying. And I'll guarantee you, Jimmy Johnson was thinking about his mom. Uh, you know, so it's our goal here isn't for Dave Baker to be that guy. I, I, a carrier pigeon could do my job. I tell him three things. Welcome to Canton. Thank you for all you've done for the game. And we're going to guard your legacy forever. But those are important words to those guys. But I, what I find interesting, though, you say a carrying pigeon could do your job. But here you are, you're walking the halls of a strange hotel in early February, somewhere in a Super Bowl city. You're wondering what's going through their mind on the other side of the door. And you don't know what you're going to get. You're going to get tears. You're going to get happiness. Uh, unbridled enthusiasm, uh, silence, maybe, you know, but also there, there's a man, there's a person looking back at you at a very vulnerable moment. And they're looking at you in a way, maybe for reassurance, maybe for a, a, a bit of warmth, but you're right there. At, you're almost in the delivery room of a hall of famer. And I ask you what's going through your mind, what service, are you doing to these guys? Well, I, I do think there's an affirmation uh, of validation, sometimes even for guys a redemption, uh, because the business, frankly, of the NFL is hard, but the game that they play is something that they love. They love their teammates, uh, the coaches that got there, they love their fans. And, and, and so I think it's all those things. What I want to do is, provide them that affirmation. You know, in the, the Bible, it says that hopefully someday we'll get to heaven and, uh, you know, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think that's what people want here on earth. That's what we want in our career. We want to know that, hey, through all the struggle, through all the fight, uh, you know, if you look at Kipling's poem, If, 
okay? It, it, it is all about failure until the end when it says yours will be the world and all that's in it. And what is more, you'll be a man, my son. If you look at the poem uh, Invictus, uh, you know, through, through so many things, it is about the struggle of going forward. It's it's the uh, caterpillar that gets encased in the cocoon and and how you got to fight out of that cocoon to become a butterfly. And uh, I think it's all those things at that moment. And all I want to do is tell those guys on behalf of all of us who love football, uh, thank you. Well done. And, and you know, you're, you're a man of faith and you're also a spiritual man. I think those two things often go hand in hand, but sometimes they don't. And, you know, I want to talk about redemption. You know, we are all fallible human beings. And sadly, some of us are defined by our weakest moment of failure. Uh, uh, you know, s- some of us are defined fairly or unfairly, but by an impu- imprudent remark or a lapse in judgment. And right now, there's someone listening to us who's made a mistake that's carried with them for, for forever. And, you know, what was that moment for you? And what would you say to someone who's in danger of letting that moment define them? Well, I, I, listen, I've had uh, a couple moments like that. You know, a, a congressional campaign where I screwed up badly. Uh, uh, you know, I've got a marriage, you know, uh, that I was divorced from before I got into to one that worked. Um, I think that there's a lot of things like that in life. And I, I happen to be um, a little bit of a Calvinist, so I don't think any of those things caught God by surprise. I don't think he was looking the, the wrong way and then turned around and went, oh, Baker, what are you doing? Uh, I actually think that there's a plan in all of that. I, I think some of the values that I hold dear um, came out of my biggest failures. Uh, I mean, there were times when um, you know, I had nothing and the only thing you've got is, you know, you know, your friends aren't there <laughs> that you thought were your friends. Sometimes your family's not there, uh, you know, that you thought were friends. Um, but the only thing I think I had was my faith and the values that I believed in. And, and, um, and I think there's a reason for that. And you can wrap, wrap your arms around that pain and move forward. And, and you can actually be, I think, uh, you know, I hope your listeners understand this, but I think you can be a little bit more enlightened than you were before. Maybe a little bit more enlightened than other people out there who've known nothing from success. Uh, Brett Favre has a, was saying the other day, uh, you know, in some videos that we have here that he said, you know, you always learn more from your losses than you do your, uh, your wins. Uh, and to put it another way in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says in good times, rejoice in bad times, consider. You know, when things are going good, it, it is a party time. But when things are going bad, we got to consider why, how, what, and how can this change us going forward? So I think out of those times of that we're in the valley can come some of our greatest peaks. And while there's been a lot of screw-ups in my life, I can sincerely and genuinely say that I don't want to cause people pain again or... But, but I wouldn't change them because I think that they, as much as anything, have made me who I am. And, and there's a deeper understanding, a deeper sensitivity to others who may be going through the same thing. And, and I, 
I, I will always believe that the very best is still ahead. Uh, that these values that can lift us up out of this thing, you know, one of, we call the Pro Football Hall of Fame the most inspiring place on earth. And, and I know to some people it's a little small and might even be a little bit quaint and mom and pop. But when I came here, John, I had no idea, A, how cold it was going to be in Canton, Ohio, because I came from California, but also B, uh, how many people who are going to be coming here who were terminally ill and their bucket list item is to go through the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And as I've come to know some of those people, you know, John Wildhack, when he was at ESPN, uh, sent me a note and asked if one of the young ladies who worked for him could bring her father in um, because he was terminally ill from cancer. And we did the best we could. We let him in for free. We gave him a shirt. I went down, got my picture with him and thanked him. But she wrote me back a letter and she said, uh, staff's great. Thanks for the t-shirt. Uh, thanks for the picture. But then she said, thank you for giving me the best day in my life I will ever have with my dad. And that's something you just can't take away. And for so many of us, I mean, you know, the statistics, uh, 91% of the people who are NFL fans will never get to go to a game. <laughs> so they're watching on TV. They're watching it with their family. And, and um, to me, um, that's really important. Uh, so I have loved being here. I've loved the inspiration of it, but you also feel a sense of hope that there's always a Hail Mary, that you're not alone, uh, that anything can happen in the end, and we're going to keep fighting until something good does. I, I always find it interesting to hear you talk about the people who've come from all corners of the world to, to visit the hall and experience I guess, in many ways, a sense of spirituality um, and oneness of the game and, and, and the, the, what the hall stands for. And you've personally made three pilgrimages to, to Israel, to Jerusalem. Um, uh, one as, once as a professional basketball player and twice with Robert Kraft. How did those... And, uh, I, I actually made a fourth there too when... Uh when Robert was given the Genesis award uh, to go over and support him there too. Yeah. How'd those trips change you? You, you know, again, I think I, I'm a, I'm not Jewish. I'm a Christian, but I, uh, I think Israel is an incredible place. Uh, got to be close friends with the ambassador who came here to the hall of fame, Ron Dermer at, at the time. And uh, I, I think there's a, you know, we went there and we saw youth football and in the youth football league, um, th there was one team where there were four of the five offensive linemen were Palestinians and they're guarding a Jewish quarterback. <laughs> and, and I really truly believe that if we spent more money on balls and whistles and help the children in the world play together, we'd spend a lot less money on guns and grenades and missiles. And, and uh, so Listen, I think, and when we went there, we went met with Benjamin Netanyahu, and he didn't know the difference between Jerry Jones and Jerry Rice, but he knew what that gold jacket stood for. Uh, we took uh, 10 Hall of Famers to the Vatican to meet with the Pope. And, and, and he, he, listen, he's not a, regardless of what people think, he's not a New Orleans Saints fan. <laughs> he didn't know football. Uh, but he does know that sports brings people together. And so he wanted to be a part of that. And so um, 
I, I think this has been a message. I went to Denmark with uh, Morton Anderson. I promised him that we would re kind of uh, create the ceremony for his unveiling of his bronze bust and give him his gold jacket and his Hall of Fame ring of excellence in his hometown of Struer, Denmark. Let me tell you, it was spectacular. Every adult in town was there. Every camera, I think, in Denmark was there. On that day, the most popular athlete uh, in Scandinavia was an American football player who had left Denmark in the 10th grade for 10 months as an exchange student and came back at that time as the you know leading scorer in the National Football League. But they understood these values. They understood this concept of team. Uh, I, I'm truly committed to the fact that through history, when, when, uh, when our former president came by here for a visit, Ohio is an important state to Republicans. Uh, no president has won without carrying it. And weeks before the election, they wanted to come by here and maybe get some pictures. And we said, we'd be glad to do it. But if the Democratic came, candidate came by, we'd need to do that too. And they said, okay. But I told them in 1905, there were, I believe, 19 deaths uh, in college football that year. 179 serious injuries. The game was just a battering ram. No less than Teddy Roosevelt got involved at the White House as president uh, of figuring out how to save the game because he thought it taught young men how to be rigorous and tough, and that was going to be important in the future. Uh, having been the former Secretary of Navy, he, you know, he kind of prevails upon Paul Daschle, a professor at Annapolis at the Naval Academy, to then prevail upon Walter Camp, the keeper of the rules at uh, Yale, and uh, and they create this thing called the forward pass. Of course, today the game's all about the forward pass. But at that point in time, it was to make the game safer. But 30, 35 years later, we've got 17, 18, 19-year-old kids in Africa, at Normandy, in the Pacific, uh, fighting for the preservation of the free world. And, and I truly believe that those young guys had a distinct advantage over their enemy because they understood team. They understood what it meant to give themselves to something bigger than they did, of understanding the role that they play with the other roles. And, you know, Tom Brokaw ended up calling them the greatest generation. So uh, this game, this uh, sports in general, uh, it does so much. You know, I had a good friend, former um, coach at Ohio State, Jim Trussell, who is now the president of Youngstown State, he came by one day, was sitting with me here at the hall, and he said, uh, you know, the problem with uh, the sports industry is there's not enough sports jobs. He says, we all have sports majors at our colleges to induce people to come and pay tuition and get involved, but then there's not that many jobs out there in sports because there's so many people who want to be in it. And he says, instead of sports management, what we should be teaching is team science. The science of how to become a team, the science of how to get more out of each of the component parts, uh, so, so, so the aggregate becomes more synergistically. And he said that is going to make, help us make better families and better companies and better communities and, and a better country. And, and I think he's absolutely right. So what I love about what I do here, it's not just, you know, the great things I get to do or uh, the heroes of the game that I get to hang with. 
it's really about these values and helping us all how we can understand that we might not necessarily have a bronze bust in Canton, Ohio, but maybe we could have a Hall of Fame life. And I do want to talk about that because so many, this is the sports mentoring project. So a lot of our listeners work in sports, have one of those jobs or are trying to break in to one of those jobs. I teach a couple courses at NYU and they're all trying to break in. And I think many ways, younger people are often attracted by the allure of that knock or to raise a championship trophy or to have the the adoration of a fan base and you know that may be a motivating factor for some of our listeners to experience that euphoria so i ask you as you sit i'm literally looking at you know dozens of uh, bronze busts in the background what advice do you have for someone who works in a front office somewhere or an agency somewhere who's never going to lift a championship trophy on the field of play but is chasing that same euphoria. Yeah, I, I would tell them to fall in love with the struggle. Fall in love with the work, with the pain, with the, you know, the, the magical moments where you get to see something happens. Uh, I just concluded, John, kind of knocking on some doors for the, for the new class here. And um, we kind of had to go out to them this time because we couldn't get them all to the Super Bowl because of COVID restrictions. And one of the guys who shall remain nameless for the moment until the honor show Saturday night uh, said, are you going back to Canton? And I said, no, I'm going to go knock on some other doors. And he said, you're going to go collect some more tears, aren't you? <laughs> and, and I think that's what happens. That's our journey. And when I think of you back with the, uh, New Jersey Red Dogs uh, of this young kid that's dreaming of being a polished professional that you are now, uh, or, or so many others. Uh, those are incredible moments. And, and they were, there's a, you don't get there by just standing on the podium and receiving the trophy. Uh, that moment is created by 5,000 other meetings. <laughs> 5,000 other challenges. Uh, and you've got to stack good days on, on top of each other. And if you do enough of them, then maybe you get there. And, and maybe you get that salary that, you know, makes you feel that you're valuable. But to me, it's about, it's about loving not just what you do, but the impact that you can have. I, I have seen over and over again that uh, when I got this job, uh, the commissioner told me, he said, you know, we will make a difference beyond any imagined. And, uh, you know, I think in some respects, we have done that and we're doing that and we're going to do that. Uh, you know, there are things that will, you know, you know, on another issue, I was talking about, you know, bringing, you know, 120 to 150 of our Hall of Famers together, living gold jackets. And can we invite all the police chiefs, you know, from each state, uh, the top law enforcement officers that can come here to talk about uh, racial injustice. You know, frankly, maybe the president of the United States could do that, or maybe uh, a, a room full of Joe Montana's and Dent Marino's and Joe Namath's, and you know, those guys will come because of that. That's a powerful platform. 
And, and the question isn't just how can we use that platform to stuff money in our pocket. I, I won't say that's easy, but I, I'll say that that's very doable. What I'll say is harder is how do we use that platform for great good? You know, uh, Tony Dungy is a, a guy who I respect, uh, revere, and have great affection for. In, in the aftermath of the George Floyd stuff, he was talking about one verse, and it was Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good. So how much good can we do? Uh, you know, unfortunately, I think that... Uh, we all make a lot of money off of TV. We all have a huge platform on TV. Uh, I am told that the ratings for the NFL a year ago were 10 times higher than the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, and college football combined. So TV is very important to us. But I find when I watch the TV for any amount of time, if I'm watching the news or something else, or if I get on the internet and or read the notifications on my phone, man, I'm depressed. And maybe I move beyond depressed, I move to fear. But when I'm involved in doing good, um, and, and I've got my focus off myself onto what I can do for others, man, I start getting excited. Uh, momentum starts happening. And maybe we can make a difference. And if you have enough good days like that, you look back and you go, man, look how far I've come. How'd I get here? How'd we get over those mountains? How'd we get through that valley? And, and, and I found that true of so many of the other young people that, uh, I know you're not that young anymore, but you're still young to me, John. But the, but the young people that I had the privilege of working with on this crazy thing called the arena football, uh, to see how far all of you have come, to see the families that you're raising. Uh, being in the business of sports is special. And a lot of people think, well, you shouldn't make money at it because it's fun. <laughs> but the better you do it, like anything else, the more money you're going to make. So the way to be successful in it is to love what you're doing and to have an impact that makes a difference in the lives of others. And I believe if that happens, a lot of good will come to you and a lot of value will come to you. I had the honor and pleasure of being in Canton and, and I watched you slide the gold jackets on members of the newest class. And that single act does not make one an ambassador. I, when I speak with my kids, um, I, I tell them that they're ambassadors of our family. I remind them that everything communicates, how you carry yourself, the words you choose, the company you keep. And you know, you're, you're the front man, you know, you're the front man of the arena football league. You're the, face of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What, what advice do you have for our listeners about what it takes to be an ambassador, true ambassador? Yeah, well, that's a good question. And, I, and in, uh, I know this is going to be a simplistic answer, but I think it, like in many things in leadership, uh, it comes down to what do you believe? What do you truly believe? And then second of all, who do you believe in? And, and then number three, how much do you believe it? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've learned that I can be a pretty good salesman, but I've got to believe it. If I don't believe it, I, I, I can't sell anything. 
But if I truly believe it, I can share with them my heart, my passion, and then maybe they're going to give it a try. Uh, I, I want to surround myself with people who are believers. Uh, if you don't believe in it, you're wasting your time here. Uh, if, if all you need is a salary, you should get that someplace else because we only have a limited number of spots and they need to be given to believers. And, and then lastly, how much do you believe it? It's great to believe it when you're, you know, up three touchdowns and everything's going great and everything's clicking. Uh, but when you're on a losing streak of three games in a row, do you still believe it? Are, are you that person that's going to change your philosophy to, to, uh, to match the circumstances? Or are you going to reinvest and double down in that philosophy so that it's going to see you through? But to me, um, my suggestion to people who want to be an ambassador for it, make sure you believe it. Uh, I spend a lot of time trying to understand and align my beliefs of what I believe in. Because while I found that I can sometimes, you know, sell soda you know, to Eskimos figuratively uh, in something I believe, I can also find that if they see that I don't believe it, it doesn't matter how I sell it or how valuable it is, they're not going to buy it. So I think, you know, having the ability to articulate what you believe in and know that you believe it deeply so it'll get you through the tough times, I think that's very critical. I believe, if my research serves me correctly, that in law school you were uh, the editor of uh, the, 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 the law journal for the school. I think I have that right. Um, I'm putting the pen back in your hands. And it's the day after you announce your retirement and you're sitting, you're writing your headline about a story about you for the New York times. What is that headline? Well, first of all, I don't think the New York times is going to write anything about me. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, and if they do, it may not be positive, <laughs> but, uh, but I understand where you're going. And uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of hope that I never retire not because of the money or because of the other stuff, but because I like making a difference in people's lives. I, I like caring about something that I think is valuable. And um, Marv Levy, who is a 95 year old hall of famer told me one time that he wasn't retiring. He said he understood the word to retire means that you're going to put new tires on and you're going to get ready to roll. <laughs> and so I'm hoping that I'm always getting ready to roll somewhere for someone. Um, and, but if, if you ask what I want, want to be remembered by someone, um, yeah, again, I would say that probably that people would say, yeah, that guy cared. That guy cared a lot. And I do care about the game. I care about people. I care about our country. Uh, I'm certainly not perfect, to be sure, but I think if we all care, the world's going to be a little bit more forgiving. It's going to be a little bit more um, empathic, um, and uh, and when we do that, we can come together. And to me, that's the secret of America. Uh, all these different people from different places, of different colors and different creeds, and 
uh, you know, different philosophies. When we come together, man, great stuff can happen. And so uh, I'm not sure what they'll say. Uh, I suspect they won't say anything, uh, but uh, I'm going to care right up until the end. Speaking of the end, we are approaching the end. I have, I do have one more question for you. Um, yes, sir. Inductees of the hall, their players, their coaches, their general managers, uh, but you also have a, a couple of other categories and awards. Builders, there's a media award. I believe there's a fan award. In 2024, um, the hall decides to create a new award, and it's going to induct four mentors into a new category called mentors. Yeah. Who is that inaugural class of sports mentors? In sports? In sports. In fo- or in football, I should say, in fairness. Okay, well, well, I think Pete Rozelle is right there at the top because I think that there are a lot of people who learn from Pete Rozelle uh, a whole lot of things. Uh, I think uh, there's certainly some coaches up there at the top, uh, you know, whether that's uh, Shula Madden or at that point Belichick, there's a lot of guys who have coaching trees. Um, I, I'm, like I said, I'm a big Tony Dungy fan as, as a man. Um, but, but I would say that this is a bit of a cop-out and I don't mean to do that, but there's not one guy here that I haven't learned a ton from. Uh, they, they, their journey and their, um, their heart and sometimes it may be skeptical and sometimes it may take a while to build their trust, but boy, once you got it, uh, what makes these guys great is um, that they believed in something that they went after it and they weren't going to be deterred. You know, they, they, in our business, it's not pristine and it's not perfect. It's, uh, it is blood coming out of your nose and snot and, mud on your uniform and uh, you got to fight to be great. But, but I think a guy like Commissioner Tanglebu did that. And there were moments that weren't so great for him, but there's some moments where he really fought through it. So I think there's a lot of guys and, and respectfully for me to limit to four, uh, leave so many other guys uh, and, and women now too, who have done great things. Uh, but that's the wonderful thing. The, the, the Hall of Fame is very exclusive. There's been 330 million young men that have played this game, 5 million in college, 29,000 in the NFL have been paid to play it, coach it, or officiate it. Uh, right now, today, we only have 326 bronze busts here in Canton, Ohio, and only 169 living Hall of Famers. Um, but greatness isn't limited just to a bronze bus in Canton, Ohio. There are great fathers, great firemen, great teachers, uh, you know, great soldiers, great mothers, uh, great leaders. And, and, and there's all kinds of greatness. And it's not limited to a number like the Pro Football Hall of Fame of having seven or eight a year. And, and there's moments when you can be great and there's moments when you can fail and there's moments when you can resurrect yourself and redeem yourself. And, and and be back in the game again. And, and to me, football is a wonderful metaphor. Uh, the great Bill Curry, who had been, a, I think, a five-time champion with the Colts and the Packers, then went on to be, become a coach at Alabama and Georgia Tech. 
uh, Bill said, you know, football is the only game where every player needs every teammate on every play just to survive. And that's really true. Unless it's not a game and, and you're in a battle, uh, a, a battle in Afghanistan or a battle for one of your children and your family or, or a battle for the economy to fight poverty in America. Uh, you know, and, and to me, there's so many wonderful lessons of this that yes, you're gonna, every, as I mentioned, Brett Favre leads an interception, but there's not one offensive lineman here that didn't miss a block or a, a, a defender who didn't make a tackle or a receiver who didn't drop a ball. Some of them dropped a lot. But the question is, can you come back? Can you persevere? Can you keep going? And, and, and can you keep going as a dad? Can you keep going as somebody who believes in yourself? I, you know, uh, I, I love Morton Anderson as an example of this, John. I mean, Morton Anderson, uh, I think I'm, I've got this right, but he, he's like 39 years old, 40 years old, and he gets cut by the Saints. And he's like within 16 points or something like that of getting the all-time NFL record. So he tells his wife, you know, he's going he's gonna to stay in shape and he's going to get the record. So every day he goes down to the park, he puts on his pads and his, his cleats and, you know, you know some uh, football pants and he kicks in game-like conditions. And pretty soon a whole year goes by and nobody's called him and now he's kicking in between Pop Warner games. And he does this for four years. For four years, he goes down there and pretty soon people are wondering, hey, who's the guy with the pot belly who's kicking and dreaming of being, being in the NFL in between Pop Warner games? And then finally, the Atlanta Falcons call, and his story is that uh, it's three flat-bellied guy, young guys and him, and he kicks six from different ranges right down the middle. And he plays, I don't know, another four years or something like that, five years, and, and, and he smashes the record. So much so that he's in the Hall of Fame. So much so that when he goes back to Denmark, he's world famous. And, and, and the value of that is how many other people are in between assignments, in between responsibilities. And they're at home sitting on the couch waiting for their phone call. And, and I think there's so much inspiration in the game, in, in these personalities, uh, and, and that... I tell you, I really, really do respect these men, not as football heroes, but as men who could not be denied, who drug other people to greatness. And because of that, I think that there's a great message for all the rest of us that maybe it's not on a football field, but we can do that too. If you're in between assignments or in between successes or unemployed or suffering from a mental health crisis that our nation is facing. Um, remember the relationship that, that, that I've had with, with one of my mentors, who, who is uh, the president and CEO of the most inspiring place on earth. And I have a chance now to thank you for all you've done to uplift me and to keep me going uh, over this last quarter century. And I know our listeners appreciate listening to what you had to say about life uh, love of the game and, and greatness. 
So thank you for being so generous with your time. David Baker, thank you for joining us on the Sports Mentoring Project. John, thank you. You make me feel reaffirmed and much more valuable and very much loved because of all the things that you're doing to touch other people as well. Thank you, John. Thank you. God bless.